Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 22 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Maria Ho. One of the most broadly talented people in all of poker, Maria currently sits fifth among women on the all-time tournament money list with over $4 million in tournament earnings. In a nod to her outstanding broadcasting skills, Maria took home the 2019 Global Poker Award for Broadcaster of the Year. And of course, she is a member of the Women in Poker Hall of Fame. So Maria, welcome to Cards Chat. I'm happy to see you and be speaking with you once again. Yeah, good to see you too. And thanks for having me. Thanks. How have you been? How's everything going? I feel like I haven't seen you or spoken with you in a while. Yeah, I mean, everything's good. Obviously, all things considered, um, I'm sure, you know, it's a topic that's been you know, beat to death, but unfortunately, it's still the reality of the world that we're living in currently. Um, mm -hmm. So given the pandemic, I feel very fortunate to you know, be in a career where I've been able to transition pretty seamlessly to the idea of doing everything remotely, virtually, online. Um, as we all know, online poker has always been a big part of the the environment, the sphere that we're in. So mm -hmm. we're we're really lucky in that way. And it really gave me a chance to slow down more, which is something that I need to be forced into, not <laughs> something that I normally would do willingly. So having to take almost a year off now from traveling um, has really allowed me to pursue other interests and just to put down more solid roots uh, in LA, which is where I was raised and where my family and friends are. That's really awesome. I mean, so you know, I think it's fantastic that you've used this as an opportunity. Of course, uh, playing online poker is always fun. Um, what else specifically poker-wise have you been doing? Uh, you said you made the transition pretty naturally. So what have you been up to uh, during the pandemic, professionally speaking-wise? Yeah, so apart from playing online, I have been involved in several remote broadcasts, obviously, there's been poker series after poker series online. So luckily, there's been a lot of opportunities to do broadcasts from the comfort of my home. But I've also done a few really cool corporate events, poker seminars, because I think that a lot of these businesses are looking for a way to do some team bonding activities, but also just for, you know, a, a way to kind of get away from the fact that they have to transition from whatever their life used to look like. So they've been incorporating a lot of uh, company get-togethers where maybe they'll play poker one night. And I've been able to teach a few people that have never played poker before how to play, uh, which is something that I love to do. I, I sometimes forget that there's still so many people who have no idea right. what Texas Hold'em is or what, <laughs> what poker entails. So it's always nice to talk to those people. and. Um, you know, five, six years ago when I had more time, I was doing some coaching on the side, just taking some students uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And because of the pandemic, I've actually been able to take on a couple more students during this time. So it, it's also just something that's really rewarding, something that I wish I had more time to do. But being 
you know, at home and just finding how easy it is to get on Zoom with someone, I've been sure. able to, to take that back on. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's such a, a natural and kind of elegant way to pivot and continue doing things that you love and contribute it, you know, positively. I think that that's really awesome. And I think perhaps even it's the type of thing that you never would have gotten around to, you know, if, if things were regular, and, and maybe this even opens some additional doors for the future when we do get back to normal that you'll go to these headquarters of the corporations and do it in person. That would be, that's, that's really awesome. Good for you. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, Maria. Um, so what do you think we're going to see this year uh, as far as live poker? You know, that there is a vaccine. Things are slowly but surely, I'd say, maybe rounding the corner. Do you think we're going to get possibly a WSOP this year? Yeah, that's funny because uh, I was asked that question by Phil Helmuth recently. We did a charity event together and Mm. in a side convo, we were talking about what do we think the chances are. And I think they're actually pretty good. You know, as you said, it kind of feels like we're rounding the corner. I feel like we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know based on your Facebook post, you were saying how in Israel, most people have been vaccinated. You guys are doing a really great job of coordinating that effort there. I really hope the U.S. will get to that point. Obviously, we're a much bigger country, but logistically, yeah. I think we we still have some work we could do to roll this out faster. But obviously, knowing that that's on the horizon for mm-hmm. most people, I think that there's a good chance that we will have a WSOP. I feel like if the WSOP is willing to potentially consider the idea of moving it back a little bit later in the year than the traditional May through July, then the chances are even greater. Um, Because based on everything that I've read and that I know, I think that achieving the high percentage of vaccination needed um, would probably take until the summer. So Mm -hmm. maybe if we did something towards the back, you know, the last quarter of the year, we would have a good chance of being able to have a full series. Right. I think that'd be great. I mean, do you, and that's actually a good question as well, as far as like a full series. And you know, of course, we'd want to wait as long as possible to have the, the maximum vaccination, herd immunity, that type of a thing. Do you think in the event, you know, once we do come back, it'll look the same as it has with like dozens and dozens and dozens of events and just throngs of people in the halls? Or will it perhaps have a little bit of a, a social distancing character to it with some plexiglass and masks. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I think that given the fact that even with the vaccination, it's not a hundred percent foolproof. It doesn't mean that you're going to be completely immune. I think that it's a little bit too soon for 2021 to be the year where we just go back to normal as mm. if nothing has happened. Um, so I do feel like, if they had some type of social distancing involved, maybe just not having nine or 10 handed tables oh, playing. What a blessing that would be. <laughs> right? <Eight-handed>. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's all like, and that's also just a personal request, I think, from a lot of poker players. Like, let's just take it eight handed. We'll say it's in the name of safety, but also we're really happy <laughs> about it. Um, but I, I think that that would, that would encourage people maybe to feel more comfortable and to come out more. Um, I think they will be able to have a full series with a full schedule. I'm not sure about if they're going to get the numbers that they're used to. Right. Because again, 
I mean, even myself, I don't know if I can get into the mindset of, oh, everything's fine. I'm going to be a lot more careful. I'm going to be more cautious. I would go if I had the vaccination, but I'm not going to be in that same carefree mindset that I used to be in. And for that reason, I think there's going to still be people that are very anxious to get out there, even if they've been vaccinated or feel like it's safe again. Sure. That's a really sensible take. And, you know, there's no light switch kind of a thing. Everything goes back exactly to, to how it was. Um, I like it. Good, sensible take. And heck, you know, I'm, I'm just a couple of days from being fully vaccinated myself. Like you said, thankfully in Israel, it's doing OK. So, you know, get me on the first plane. Announce the event. I'm hoping it's going to whatever it is, uh, sign me up for it. Um, there has been a little bit of poker going on, you know, pockets here and there in some poker rooms, um, you know, in Florida, in Las Vegas. But something we've all sort of been treated to has been the return of high stakes poker, the return of poker after dark. So that had sort of a little bubble formed around it. I don't think you appeared on high stakes poker ever, but you were on poker after dark, right? Yeah. So, I mean, bless poker go for being able to, you know, put stuff together during this time when, you know, people need content, people want content, people are absorbing a lot of content um, and for them for finding a, a safe way to do it. Um, I've been on Poker After Dark many times before, and I did have the opportunity to go and film for the new season of Poker After Dark, but I just, I didn't take it because I personally did not feel like I would, yes, I I had to pass it up just because I did not feel um, as comfortable as I think I would like, especially if I'm going to be playing high stakes. I don't want to be sitting there with some type of COVID anxiety and then not be able to play my best because... I don't want to, you know, make the wrong decision in a, in a really big pot in a really big hand and then have it be because I played in an environment that I wasn't feeling entirely comfortable because that's going to affect your game for, for sure. sure. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know you're not the only one who has uh, passed up on certain invites. So uh, perhaps uh, the next season uh, we'll be seeing you uh, ante up uh, at the tables. Out of curiosity, I know for someone like me, a lot of our listeners and, and viewers at uh, Cards Chat were recreational players. For us, it's a lot about entertainment. Uh, it's just, you know, it's really cool to watch this play. I imagine there's some element of that for you. Is there also the element as a professional player of watching in order to learn and sort of taking notes on certain players? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even as a professional, I feel like my ideal type of content for poker is something that is entertaining, but also educational as well. Um, So I'm not necessarily polarized in the sense of it has to be one or the other. I really want a hybrid for me to be able to enjoy it. Um, And so I, of course, have watched so many streams, especially the ones where it is the most elite, best players in the world, because obviously I feel like there's a lot to be gleaned from that. But if there's not even one personality at the poker table, it gets very hard for me to get through it in one sitting, you know? Um, So I definitely do that. I do take notes. I do watch for educational purposes. Um, But I really think you can't discount the people that are out there that are watching it for entertainment because I'm definitely still way in the camp of we, we need more poker personalities. You know, all of the biggest personalities in poker 
are, you know, of the old school generation. And I'm really hoping that some of these new poker wizards are able to, you know, find a little bit of that side of the game for themselves as well. Nice. Is there any participant who you could point to on either show, whether it's high stakes poker or poker after dark, like, oh, that's cool to see this person on camera for the first time. Let's, let's see more of them. Any shout outs you want to give there? I mean, there's definitely a few. Like, I, I feel like anybody like Rob Young or whether it's the banter or it's just because they're so willing to get involved, you know, that people kind of want to see bloodshed, right? Yeah, people, <laughs> when they walk, when they watch poker, they want action. So maybe you're not the kind of guy that wants to do all of the table talk, but if you're the person getting involved in every pot, sometimes that speaks even louder than sure. words. So yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, okay, let's get back to the World Series for a second. Obviously, you have a tremendous involvement over the years there, both as a player um, and as a broadcaster. On the player side of things, besides the obvious of chasing bracelets and chasing money, is there something that you could point to that makes the WSOP special? And that's how you sort of know, like, you know, we're going to have towards the end of the year, it's going to come back that thing, what is it that you're sort of waiting for and to experience? It's a hundred percent, just the history, I think behind it, the mm. prestige associated with it, because you by winning a bracelet would be able to be a part of that club that includes mm. some of the biggest poker legends and poker greats like the Stu Ungers and the Doyle Brunsons. And I think, that means a lot, that history behind the series, behind the event, behind the bracelet. Um, and also just the magnitude of it. Obviously, mm. the WSOP main event is the biggest live tournament in the world in terms of, you know, number of participants and prize pool and things. And, and so there's always going to be that level of, of prestige associated with it um, just because of the sheer magnitude of it. And, I know that I've talked about this before, but even as somebody who's played in, I don't know, maybe I think 12 main events now or 13 main events, yes. there is no feeling like it. Mm -hmm. it. I still, to this day, even when I played an online version um, just recently, you know, just a month and a half ago, when I, you know, when the table popped up on my screen and, and I played the first hand, I felt the same exact excitement and anxiousness and, and all of those feelings that I've gotten every single year. And that never goes away. And that's how, you know, it's a really, really special tournament because, you know, after playing X amount of tournaments, you don't really get into that place where you're, you're nervous at, during the first hand. Sure. Um, but that always happens with me. But I think that a big part of it is really just being associated with the history that WSOP has. That's awesome. That's a great answer. And uh, something I think that resonates with anyone who's ever been there, whether as a player or just as a spectator, it's uh, it's certainly a one of a kind type of event. Um, your involvement with the WSRP, of course, again, we mentioned not just a player, also a broadcaster. Uh, on more than one occasion, you had been playing in the main event. It's a player break. And then you dash down the halls, you go straight to the break desk and you start with the broadcasting. I mean, you're extremely talented both on and off the felt. I'm wondering, how do you 
manage to stay focused on playing while you play and broadcasting while you broadcast. It's, it's, you, it's really a flipping of a light switch and that seems kind of an impossible task. Yeah, I, I can't say that I've done it seamlessly every time. Like the the time that you just mentioned where I literally <laughs> was playing a hand, I actually I actually left, you know, my my seat five minutes before break to make it over. And oh, wow. most people wouldn't want to miss any hands in the main event, you know, and that was right. something that I was willing to do. Um, I can't say that that was the smoothest transition, if I'm being honest. I definitely felt a little bit out of sorts when I first sat down at the break desk. Um, and I had to delve right into analyzing a hand that I had never seen before. Usually sure. we have a little bit of time to review beforehand. And I, I obviously didn't have that. Um, but um, I would say that I'm just really good at compartmentalizing things. Um, mm. I think my whole entire life, I think it's it's definitely made me stronger. I think I did it when I was younger, maybe to block out negativity or or because, you know, it was yeah, it was my way of kind of, putting on a happy face, even if I had a bad day. But I think now in terms of work, I've been able to switch gears really fast. So I, I don't know, I, I have a very singular focus. So I want to do the best job I can possibly do, whatever it is that I'm doing. So if I'm sitting down at the table and I'm playing, then I try to be as present as I can in that moment and, you know, do what needs to be done. And Every time if I take something on that's challenging, you know, when I had agreed to do that and to go to the break desk and do the broadcast on the same day that I was playing the main event, right. I, I definitely told myself, like, if you're going to agree to this, you you have to understand the challenges that come with it. Mm. And you have to be able to really shift the focus very quickly. And don't say yes, if you don't think you're going to do a good job at both. If you think one thing is going to suffer because you overextended yourself, then you should just be saying no. Right. So I, I just, you know, was able to kind of shut that part of my brain off and then go into the broadcaster mode. And I don't really know if it's like a natural skill or talent that's needed or just something that I've honed throughout the years, but I do feel like I am pretty good at that. And I feel really fortunate that I'm able to do that. That's amazing. And again, you said uh, you don't know how seamless it was. Well, to us watching, it certainly <laughs> seemed pretty seamless. And just, you know, again, anyone who's listening or watching this interview, it's not a simple thing to go ahead and do that and, and switch gears so seamlessly and uh, more power to you. And just was curious, maybe for some insights, how you do it, because, you know, just from podcasting, maybe I'm going to go and play. I, I, I can't be thinking about two things at once. It's a cool thing. Um <laughs> As far as your broadcasting career, um, our, uh, our crack research team has discovered your first gig was with the Heartland Poker Tour back in 2013. Um, at the time, you were, to the best of my knowledge, the first woman to be hired as a strategy commentator. Did it feel kind of like extra special to you to, to break new ground in the industry in that way and is strategy commentary and, and just being on television doing commentary is that something that you always wanted to break into yeah so i feel like at this point i really try to not to, to not separate so much these achievements based on gender but i think it's so important and so valuable when you look at 
um, when there was that first female uh, kicker in in the NFL or that first or, or you know, Kamala Harris being, sure. uh, you know, um, being a great example of, of something that is inspiring to other women. Um, I think it is important to make that differentiation and to, and to have that acknowledgement. So while I, I've never really tried to buy into so much this idea of like, oh, how do you feel about being the last woman standing or being the first woman to do this or that? I do think it's important to to acknowledge how cool it is when I look at it now um, that for, for one, that Harlan Poker Tour was willing to take a chance on, you know, breaking the, the norm and that I was fortunate enough to be that person to kind of carry that torch. Um, and the funny part is, is I had never done any type of broadcasting before I did major in communications. So I think there was a sense that I could be interested in some type of broadcasting, but it was never anything that I had done or practiced or, or, you know, rehearsed for. And I just showed up at, I just remember showing up and being like, here goes nothing type of attitude. And I feel (laughs) And, and I think that, that that's a testament to just my risk-taking personality because especially in poker, I had to have that ability to not be risk-averse. And then even when they offered me this position, I had to be willing to say, guys, I have no prior experience, but I would love to try it, you know, and, and not shying away from it because I was too scared. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, it was honestly just a great learning experience. And again, I'm so thankful that they took a chance to break outside of the mold and, and I'll be the first to say, like, I was not very good at it. Uh, when I, when I started, (laughs) um, but, but I, I felt really comfortable. They made me feel really comfortable in that environment. And, and I'm so glad now that I, that I took that on when I did. And nowadays, you know, there's definitely more females doing commentary, but also just more females in poker that I think are willing to step outside of what their comfort zone is. And if I had a small part to play in that, then I I feel really thankful that I was given the opportunity to be that person. That's awesome. The self-awareness is, is so important as well. The idea of an opportunity comes your way, you know, the, the, the opportunity comes knocking, the door opens and you walk right through it. I think that's fantastic. And even doing that, whether you're a man or a woman, is, you know, a, I don't want to use the word brave, but it's a, an important thing uh, that that risk taking is important. And, you know, like you said, in, in a very short amount of time, relatively speaking, you know, just six years from I've never done any broadcasting before to 2019 GPI broadcaster of the year. So I think that's just really wonderful, certainly inspiring, again, whether you're a man or a woman. Um, I think it's wonderful. And again, you know, more power to you, Maria. Um, a couple of years before that, though, before you did your broadcasting, you did something pretty cool. You were on CNN, uh, a CNN special with Anderson Cooper discussing being, quote, a woman in a man's world. Um, on that question, to what degree, I mean, this is now, I guess, about 10 years beyond that point in time. To what degree do you think the poker world has progressed since those days? And in your mind, are there still any sort of glass ceilings that need to be shattered, you know, before we can really say, okay, there's a true equal 
representation and, and women are truly a, a integral part of the poker industry? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I feel like when I used to be asked that question, I would give the answer of like, yeah, I think I've seen a lot of changes uh, mm. in terms of representation for women in poker and and how, you know, the community treats female poker players and whatnot. But lately, you know, in the last six months to a year, I have to say that when I really think about it, I actually, unfortunately, don't feel like it has changed that much. And I think that I was probably stuck in this mindset of feeling like I had to represent um, this optimism as a woman in poker to, to welcome more women and say like, oh, no, things are great, guys. It's just fine. Um, but the truth is, is, I just didn't really feel that way. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, if I'm being honest, I think that not a lot has changed. If you look at just the sheer numbers of it, there are not more females playing poker on average than there were 10 years ago. Um, in fact, I think it was maybe last year at the World Series or the year before when actually the number had dropped in terms right. of the women who had registered for the main event. Um, and also I just, and also I just think about a couple of kind of unfortunate incidents that have come up in poker where, you know, maybe somebody made a comment towards a female poker player or some type of, you know, bad representation where somebody is, is, um, being openly and directly, um, inflammatory towards female poker players. I think that, um, it, it really just proves the fact that there's still this environment of a boys club to a certain extent. And, and again, like I, I know I'm generalizing and I don't want to say that this applies to every person in the community because I've obviously had tons of great experiences and tons of pleasant experiences, but and I know that this exists, this kind of culture exists in a lot of other industries, right? Like, I'm not saying like, woe is us and this, that and the other. I understand that if you look at esports, if you look at chess, if you look at um, even just a corporate environment, those are things that male dominated, boys club culture, all of those things exist in those realms as well. But um I do think that it's it's so strange to me when it comes to poker because it feels like this is the ultimate leveling e even playing fields. So why is it that there is this feeling of, of dis by others or by ourselves? And I, I feel like one thing that I've learned is, which I really want to share is just to for women to be empowered to feel like they belong. Because I remember when I first entered the community, I think I was listening too much to those outside factors and those environmental factors of like, oh yeah, I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. So that thought just was so prevalent in my mind that it was making me feel more uncomfortable. So it wasn't even that other people were making me feel uncomfortable. That thought was, you know, seeping in and it was kind of dictating how, how uncomfortable I was feeling. Um, so I think that it's so important for us to also just look at um, how we're reacting to the environment and making sure that we're not giving too much credence to the things that kind of are out of our control. Um, but also, I mean, it, it comes down to, or not just, not just towards women, but towards recreational players, even, I feel like we can be a more welcoming community. I feel like there's still so many times where I'll sit down at a table 
and I'll see a professional berate a recreational player, or I'll see a professional want to use these intimidation tactics instead of making poker more fun and social. Um, and I just think it's the wrong way to go about it. I think that I, I think that at the end of the day, most people get into poker because they want to have a competitive but enjoyable environment. Because if they were to lose money and go home and they had a really bad time, why would they ever come back? You know, um, they're much more likely to come back if they had a really good experience, whether they won or lost. Um, and so I do think that there are still so many players in, in the community that can kind of work at just integrating new players and, and making them feel more comfortable and more welcome. And other than that, you know, it's so hard to pinpoint what one thing could be done to get more women into the game or to make this environment um, more welcoming for them. But I really hope that if somebody came up with that idea, I would be at the forefront of trying to make sure that that happened. So you, you kind of alluded foreshadowed to my next question, but before I even get there, I have to say you expressed yourself so eloquently so beautifully and thank you. I mean, I'll, dare I say, there still have some more to go through here, but you know, if you're listening to this podcast, guys, if you're watching, re-listen to the last few minutes. That's incredibly powerful, incredibly open and honest and very important. Um, so Maria, thank you for that wonderful answer to that question. Um, for years now, you know, here's sort of the dovetail. It's been said in the poker community that, oh, if a woman were to win the WSOP main event or at least make the final table, it would be a huge deal. Tons of women would come flooding into the game. Do you still believe that to be true in 2021? Hmm. I would say that given the recent success of Queen's Gambit, um, I would say that a way to get a mass exodus of women into the game might be more if there was a, some type of show, whether it's scripted or whether it's, you know, whatnot, where it portrays poker as cool, sexy, fun, interesting, the way that, you know, Queen's Gambit got a lot of people hooked on the chess. Um, and I'm one of those people. I had literally never played a game of chess in my life. Oh. <laughs> and watching to go out and buy a chessboard and start, you know, researching strategy online. And so I feel like that could actually, something like that for poker could actually play a bigger role in getting a lot of women into the game. I think as far as a woman winning the main event, I think that could definitely help. Yeah. I know that I've certainly gotten messages from women who've told me, Hey, I watched you on ESPN. I saw that you were the last woman standing and that made me really interested in poker. And that made me feel like, Oh, Hey, maybe that could be me. So of course I, from firsthand experience know that, that there is some type of effect to that. And that does work to a certain extent, but I don't know if it could create, you know, the next poker boom necessarily. Right. If, a, if a female were to win, it would certainly help, but but honestly, I think seeing Queen's Gambit, I feel like give, doing something like that for poker actually could have a pretty uh, significant effect. Awesome. Well, let's hope that perhaps Aaron Sorkin, who directed Molly's Game, or, <laughs> or Brian Kobelman, who 
wrote rounders, perhaps they're listening to this and maybe get the wheels turning again. Yeah, help us out, guys. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with you. I think that, that mass popular culture type of a thing. I mean, I think the Queen's Gambit was seen by what, 60 million people or something like that? That's gigantic. That, that's more than C, okay, who won the main event this year. So uh, good answer, good one. Um, you personally, you try to promote the game of poker in many non-traditional areas. I know that one that you did last year was an episode on the Try Guys YouTube channel and has over four and a half million views today. Um, in your opinion, how important is it to get the new eyes uh, into poker in these sorts of creative ways? And do you perhaps have some ideas of your own that you would like to try in the near or, or slightly more distant future? Yeah, so I feel like it's so important. Actually, after the Try Guys video, I had so many people message me saying, oh, I never heard about poker, knew really about poker. I've never seen a woman playing poker before. Um, so that definitely reached a lot of new eyeballs. And I think it is so important, especially because nowadays content is so easily disseminated. You know, there's there's a platform for every type of content. For sure, for sure. So many people absorbing all of this content. Like it's never, once you're interested in a subject matter, it's almost like there's never enough. There's no such thing as too much on that one content, yeah. on that one subject matter. Um, and so I think that's really cool. And, and I feel like I would love to be a part of more things like that. Um, and, and, you know, I know that poker as a community, we can be very critical of being like, well, that's not a realistic portrayal or wait, like the board and the hand that you have doesn't really make sense or that's not, you know, realistic, but that's not really the point, right? Like I would be happy to be a part of any content that is created about poker that is entertaining, but also that where people can just get a small sense of what the game is like. Um, so it doesn't have to be, you know, this exact realistic depiction because maybe that won't interest people. I would rather get people interested in the game first and then we can go and like teach them all of the nuances and and really get to the nitty-gritty but the, a lot of the traditional forms of poker content just isn't going to be appealing to somebody who doesn't know anything about the game um so yeah and as far as whether or not i would be doing stuff on my own in the future i'm not like a big ideas person i definitely would love to execute so okay. if people have ideas you know, send them over. Um, but, but like, I've never really been that creative driving force behind things. I'm more of kind of the doer. And so, um, I, but I would love to, you know, a lot of people have always asked me, like, how come you don't have more of a YouTube presence? How come you don't do like vlogs and things like that? Like, that's just, I've never really felt like that's my forte, but like, if somebody wants to produce and direct it, I will, I will be in it. <laughs> right. I mean, you've certainly done some really cool things um, as far as mainstream. Everyone knows, you know, you did The Amazing Race with uh, Tiffany Michelle. Uh, you've been on American Idol. You've been a celebrity guest on Deal or No Deal. That's pretty darn awesome. I mean, if there's feathers in the cap, those are some really good feathers. Um, you know, what What would it feel like to do this sort of stuff? What do you enjoy most about I guess, uh, you know, lack of a better category for it, reality TV competitions. What do you like about it? 
Um, I, I just, I think it's just probably the challenge aspect and the whole like fish out of water and, and Mm. just being able to say that I had this very different experience to anything else I've ever done. So I think I had a, a policy and, and a thought in my head from the very beginning of my career that I'm going to try to say yes to everything I possibly can and not let fear or, you know, not let fear dictate it or not let being out of my comfort zone dictate it and not even let the financial factor be a part of it. You know, so there were so many things that I did for free. Like people were like, Hey, you want to do this? I'm like, yep, do it for free. Sure. Whatever. And like, some people might not think that way. Right. Some people might be like, well, if they're not going to pay me or if it's not worth my time. And I think people look at things um, very much from a monetary point of view. But for me, I was just saying yes to everything that came my way because I wanted to have the experience because I felt like I could gain something invaluable from putting myself out there in that way. So whether it was American Idol or Amazing Race or, you know, even being on Deal or No Deal, it was like, it was like, hey, you know what? The worst thing that could happen is that I go and do this and, um, and it's, it's just a bad experience, but like, I want to, <laughs> For sure. Well, I love it. It's a great answer. And like, it certainly resonates with me. I've also you know, had that sort of attitude of like, if anyone wants to give me an opportunity, sure. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think that's a great attitude. And, you know, like you said, in a way, it's almost sort of a long game. You know, you do enough things for free, eventually someone's going to go ahead and pay you to do something. So uh, I like that. That's that's yeah. <laughs> certainly resonates. Um, recently, I interviewed uh, your partner at the WSOP break desk, Kara Scott. Um, one of the early broadcasting uh, gigs that she had, which was pretty unique, was the World Series of Backgammon. And you also kind of have something unique on your resume, the World Mahjong Tour. Uh, do you have a cool story from that gig that you could share with us? Yeah. So um, this is, again, one of those experiences where <laughs> I said yes to. Um, so maybe I oversold <laughs> my Mahjong capabilities. Um, you know, I definitely got contacted by someone who's like, you know how to play Mahjong, right? And I'm like, and and I did. I know the rules and all that, but like, did I really know how to play Mahjong? <laughs> Probably not, you know? But I was like, ooh, yeah, we're going right. to get a punk. in the Mahjong, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Um, so, I mean, I definitely went there not, not knowing um, really all of the strategy behind Mahjong and not really knowing what I was getting myself into. So needless to say, like I may have embarrassed myself during like the play of it all. Um, and, and like, I'm sitting with the best Mahjong player in the world. I'm sitting with these celebrities that play Mahjong and, and I'm trying to like keep up with the conversation about Mahjong and I'm trying to uh, really make myself seem uh, knowledgeable and like an expert, but like I really wasn't. Right. <laughs> it's fine. It's a fun thing to reminisce about also. Yeah. Um, sure. Another recent interviewee here on the Cards Chat podcast was Elliot Rowe. Uh, he specializes in mental game training, as a lot of us know. That is such a huge part of poker these days. And one could easily say that you have a huge advantage in that aspect as your sister Judy is a famous neuropsychologist. 
Do you ever talk to her? And if so, to what extent about poker? And maybe she gives you some tips or some help about mental game. And it's, is she also sort of a, a mental game coach in that way? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I mean, my sister and I, it's weird because we kind of took career paths that both had to do with psychology, except hers is more of the book smart, studied, researched um, academia path of psychology. And mine is like this psychology, um, which I take into poker every day I play. and, and it's funny because I've never really asked her specifically on advice on how to manage my, you know, emotions and, and have a good mindset playing poker, but I definitely ask her for advice on everything else in my life. And I think I take the advice she gives me and I find a way to translate that into something that I can use for poker. So no doubt she's like my free therapist 24 seven on call. Um, but I just haven't really approached her about poker specifically. And I feel like I've actually been fortunate in the sense of whereas some people might struggle with the mental aspect of poker. I've always felt like that was one of my biggest strengths. Very early on, I never felt like I was the best poker player. I never felt like I studied the most and I never felt like I you know, was necessarily the most naturally gifted or talented player, but something that I always had a really strong sense of was how to navigate, um, making sure that the mental aspect of poker is something that I I can really excel in and excel at. And so um, that has never really been a problem for me, but I will say that I taught my sister how to play poker and the very first time she played, she ended up winning. So I think that she, because she probably has that psychological element down pat, all she needed was the rules. And so (laughs) maybe in psychology, they should do it the other way where it's like they come from a career in psychology and then come and play poker instead of, you know, us as poker players trying to seek that out. Well, you heard it, you heard it here, folks. If you're just wondering <laughs> what to choose as your college major, go for neuropsychology and then, and then easy <laughs> and then way through the back door. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's always good to know that uh, siblings have warm relationships. That's a, a beautiful thing as well. Excuse me. Um, Besides your success uh, at No Limit Hold'em, you're also an accomplished mixed game player. Uh, That's something near and dear to my heart. Uh, I know a bunch of folks in the Cards Chat forums always talk about how they love mixed games. Of course, the Cadillac is always No Limit Hold'em. You know, that's what you see spread everywhere. Do you have any sort of like advice or maybe a a dip your toe in the water kind of tip for someone who's been hesitant and maybe just wants to try out mixed game for the first time? Yeah, well, I think a really good way to start, and I feel like now more people have had some experience, is in playing Omaha, right? Because it's another flop game. So even though Omaha 8 or Better definitely has a lot of intricacies, um, I think going from knowing how to play Texas Hold'em to another mixed game that's a, a game with a flop as well just makes the transition a little bit easier. And I do feel like because of the popularity of PLO, more people have had some experience already playing Omaha. Um, but I, for me, what I did was I learned Omaha um, and then I learned Omaha eight or better. And then 
I took on the stud games from there. Um, I feel like things like the Badoogie and the triple draw in that, I, I would say learn that on the back end of all of the things that I just mentioned. I think it's much easy, easier to go from Texas Hold'em to another flop game. And then once you know Omaha 8 or better, a lot of those strategies translate obviously to stud eight or better and then you and then obviously once you know stud high it's you know raz is basically the opposite um so i feel like that's a really good kind of through all of the games and i mean honestly it's just one of those things though where when I first started, there were no resources really on mixed games there were no right. books there were there were no online tutorials but it was one of those things that if you're willing to just sit down and play, you'll be surprised at how quickly just your natural card sense will help you kind of navigate your way through those games. And so a lot of people are probably like, oh, but I don't know, should I read about it first? Should I study it first? And I say like, just play, just honestly sitting down and playing and getting through a whole cycle of a course or, you know, a game or whatever it is it's going to help you absorb the other information that you do read a lot easier once you've actually had the experience of playing the game. Great advice. Love it. And uh, certainly agree from where I sit. Uh, great advice. And guys, try the mixed games. It's good fun. Um, just two more questions of mine, and then we'll try to get through as many as we can from those who submitted questions in the dedicated thread on the forum. Uh, Maria, you have, you know, we've mentioned an, incres an incredible list of accolades. What if you had sort of a choice or maybe a, a to-do list, do you want to sort of add to that resume as you will also be eligible in a few years for the Poker Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I'm still missing that big marquee major tournament win from my resume. I've obviously won other tournaments, but it's never been a... WSOP or a WPT main event or um, something like that. I feel like in terms of what I would be satisfied with when I look back at my resume, I don't think I necessarily need that to feel like I have a lot of other. But it is something that I think is a nice um, way to kind of round out everything that I've done in the game so far. But I also understand that if I put that as my, you know, end all be all type goal, that I'm setting myself up for disappointment because we all know that it's very tough to control whether or not you can win a main type of event. There's just so many players and there is going to be a, a slight luck factor involved. The variance is high, especially when we're talking about live tournaments, the sample size in somebody's career might not ever be large enough for you to really be able to achieve that goal. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket, but I think it would feel nice. And I, I would definitely, you know, a bracelet is something that even just as a recreational player starting out, it was always kind of the pinnacle of, okay, what would be the most awesome win um, in poker? Um, but yeah, I think for me, the most important part is just to keep doing what I'm doing though, which is to continue to represent poker in a positive light and to 
share the game with people who have never heard about it to find ways to get poker into the mainstream, but also it a game that people would want to be a part of. For sure. And I got to say, you know, when, when everyone asks me, you know, Robbie, you don't have any results at all. I don't see any hand in mod page for you. I basically give them exactly the same answer. So, uh, <laughs> 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 got to have a little self-deprecating humor. I haven't kept a single tournament. No, but it's good. It's the truth. And, and uh, you know, I, I do think that, uh, again, just variance alone means that some more accolades uh, are on your way. Um, finally, the most important question of this entire interview, I know it's a polarizing topic, Maria, it can be controversial, opinions can vary greatly, it can bring people together, it can tear them apart. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. You recently posted a picture of yourself drinking a Caesar, which is Canada's national drink. Please tell the people why it's vastly superior to a Bloody Mary. Okay. I've been on board since I discovered Caesars. I have actually never liked Bloody Marys. I don't like tomato juice. Honestly, I don't get it. I don't get it. I know that it's a popular drink and I've had it. Sure. But I've never sat down at a restaurant and been like, okay, I have to try the Bloody Mary here. (laughs) But when I first discovered Caesars, when I lived in Vancouver, I moved to Canada after I was just at a chain restaurant in Vancouver and I was like, what is this? What is this Caesar deal? But I've always liked clams. I've always liked clams. I'm like, okay, clam juice. That sounds like something I could get into. So I ordered it and legitimately it became the drink that I would order every time I went out in Vancouver, every time it would be like my first drink of the day. Right. Uh And so it is so superior. I feel bad for people who haven't even tried it. Like I was one of those people who had no idea it existed. And I'm so thankful that I do because there's just no comparison, really. It's the best. Good stuff. Well, you answered that question beautifully, I must say. Um, And speaking of questions, now is the time in our show. It's our segment where we turn to all of you guys watching and listening in the Cards Chat community to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. Of course, we do have a dedicated forum, uh, a dedicated thread on the forums where you can go ahead and post those questions once we announce who the upcoming guests are. So let's just dive right into them, try to get to as many as possible before we run out of time here. Uh, First one is from Demesquita. Thank you very much for submitting this one. Um, Maria, is the existence of for women only tournaments, live or online, good or bad for the equality fights and why? Um, So that's a good question. And I feel like my stance on it is that I think having female only tournaments is good in the sense of making a creating an environment where females can feel comfortable playing. Um, because I know that I've met plenty of people in ladies events where they'll be like, this is my first tournament ever. This is the first time that I've ever participated in a tournament. Females. So I like that. It's a stepping stone. I like that. It's a way to, um, to be able to hopefully move on to, you know, um, to the all open events as well. But I do think that having ladies only tournaments does 
kind of say something does spread this message that maybe we don't want out there, which is that we need a, a woman's only tournament or that poker is a game where separating the genders makes sense in any way because right. it doesn't. Um, so yeah, I'm really torn on that. I, I definitely think it, in a way it sends the wrong message, but when I see how many women have come through those doors telling me that it's their first time ever playing a tournament and they only did it because it was a ladies event that makes me feel like, you know, how much is it really hurting right. the hurting the game as long as they're willing to take a shot in an open event after, you know, getting more comfortable. So yeah, definitely a good, uh, a gateway into the, into yeah. the game. Um, here's one from acid burn FX always submits some very interesting questions. And this one's sort of comes out of right field. Uh, Maria, what crime from history fascinates you the most? Wow. That is, wow. That is uh did not expect <laughs> that. Well, Okay. So I have to say that I actually love crime documentaries. I love like true crime, true murder stuff. Um, I wouldn't say that there's like one that has really stood out in my mind. Um, but, but I want to, you know, give some recommendations for ones that I watched recently. Uh, this one, it was called, I think it was called um, Evil Geniuses and it's on Netflix, I believe. Super weird, super strange. I don't want to give away too much information, but essentially there was a bank robbery where somebody was uh, strapped with a uh, bomb and it detonated in front of the police officers. And there's actually video where he, he gets decapitated pretty oh. much. Um, but that's not the really weird and crazy part. When you look There's at the more. backstory, <laughs> right. When you get into the backstory of like who was behind it, it was, it was actually really, really fascinating. Hmm. Um, but the other one, which is kind of a little more lighthearted than that <laughs> is, uh, there's one on HBO, I believe called, uh, McMillionaires hmm. or something like that. And it was about the McDonald's scandal where they, um, where they cheated the Monopoly McDonald's game. Right, right. Um, that was actually, that whole thing is really fascinating. And the FBI agent that was the main guy that spearheaded that investigation, he actually made for a really good uh, interviewee. So I actually thoroughly enjoyed that one. <laughs> creative question, creative answer. Do we have time for maybe two, three more questions? Is that all right? Okay, cool. Thank you. So um, here's one from Kid Carter, 93. Uh, Maria, it's always great to see you doing comms on the Poker Stars Twitch channel, but will we get to see you back in action on your own channel at some point? Not full time, but even once in a blue moon would be nice to see, considering it's been about five years since you last streamed. It was always good to see you battling everyone in the Sunday Millie every week. And I'm sure all the old homies would love to see it as well. Well, first of all, thank you for being a fan of the OG Maria Ho Twitch channel. And <laughs> shout out to all the homies out there. I love you guys. Um, but I will have to say, though, somebody missed my special edition stream. So it was five years when I last streamed until like six months ago during the pandemic, I actually did have one day of streaming. So where were you? Um, how big of a homie are you really? <laughs> you didn't 
see that. Um, <laughs> it's actually still on YouTube. So, okay. um, you can, you can watch it there, but, uh, people ask me that a lot actually. And I really enjoyed streaming, but I have to be honest. It's, it's really draining. Um, you to be able to interact with everybody in chat and, and to, um, have that dialogue going for sometimes an eight, for 10, sure. 12 hour session. I have so, so much respect for Lex and, and, you know, J- Jason Somerville who started it all pretty much, um, all those people that do it on a regular basis. It's, it's very, very taxing. So I will have a couple of special appearance streams on my own channel. I, I do want to get back to maybe doing that, you know, maybe once a month or I don't think I could ever see myself doing it regularly, but I, I definitely feel confident when I say that I will be back on the Twitch streets on my own channel. Nice. Okay. And last person to ask questions here is Shells, who's also uh, very regularly been sending in questions for all of our guests. Thank you very much, Shells. Uh, two quick ones here. When you are not playing poker or broadcasting, what do you like to do for fun? It's a good question. I feel like there was a while where I I didn't really even do anything for fun. I was always so much in work mode, and and now I've kind of cultivated a few <laughs> hobbies. Um, but I don't know. A lot of people might not know this about me. I've always kind of been a singer recreationally. I know you mentioned the American Idol, but I was you know in my college acapella group. I've done a couple of live gigs in the LA scene, um, nice. some live music. So something that really relaxes me and something that I love to do is just, you know, sit down, kind of listen to something and sing along, harmonize, kind of, you know, do, do my own thing um, with it. So that's something I really enjoy doing in my downtime. But lately I've been playing a lot of golf actually um, because it's one of those uh, pandemic activities that, that feels like safe and, sure. and something that you can do on a more regular basis. I've always played golf, you know, recreationally with my, with my family actually. Um, but now I'm kind of taking more of an interest in it. So I've been doing that a lot and, um, I love, I just love games. I'm just a gamer through and through. So something else that I do is like, um, I'll play, uh, rummy cube i don't know if people kind of heard about that i know it's been it's been a game that's been around but i never even heard of it obviously i play rummy but i recently got that and so like a couple times a week i'll just have a game night where i'll be playing you know rummy cube i'll play i'll play chess very poorly um and and you know i just like to find new board games or new games of any sort to learn Awesome. I love it. That's, a, that's some great uh, little nuggets there that I didn't know about them. I think that's really great to have uh, so many hobbies and some balance. Um, our final question to end off here again from Shells. Um, what kind of non-poker plans, or I'll even add in parenthetically here, or hopes do you have for 2021, Maria? Non-poker plans, um, I mean, just generally, I... I want to be able to find a way to have a more direct uh, effect. Participate so much in charity events. And there's so many things that I do that other people have organized, but I kind of want to find a more direct hands-on way, which I can continue to give back, especially because 
you you feel so overwhelmed, especially during times like these where you hear about so many people in need of so many things. And sometimes, you know, your brain doesn't even know where to start, like who to help, what organization to be a part of. But I feel like I have a lot of resources in the sense of the network and the ability, the free time um, to maybe try to build something from the ground up that, you know, is uniquely mine and something that I have more of a direct hand in. So that's something that I think is what I want to focus on in 2021. And um, I've actually been studying to get my real estate license because my parents are in real estate and I've always been interested in it. And I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with the license. It's obviously just good to have knowledge on, you know, real estate anyways. So even if nothing comes of it, I'm happy to just do it and just to glean some of that knowledge. But I don't know, maybe I'll get into, uh, maybe you'll see me on Selling Sunset. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. That's really wonderful. Maria, thank you so much. First, let me thank as well everyone who sent in questions uh, for Maria. And again, a friendly reminder to everyone, there is uh, a dedicated thread in the cards chat forums for you to submit your questions every time we announce who the new guest is going to be. Um, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via social media channels if you like the show. Uh, Maria, before we let you go, anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners or where can they find you uh, on uh, social media? Yeah, well, thanks everybody for the interest in me and for the questions and thanks for having me on, Robbie. And you guys can uh, find me on Instagram at Maria underscore Ho and on Twitter at Maria Ho. Um, I, I like to try to keep my social media really positive. So if you're looking to uh, spread some negativity or hate, don't do it there. Um, but if you're kind of just interested in what I'm up to, then definitely check it out. <laughs> Well, that's good stuff. And uh, I certainly someone who appreciates that. I enjoy following you on your social media. It uh, certainly gives me a lot of energy and helps fuel me. And I, I think uh, anyone who's listened to the show today uh, will sort of feel the same way. So thank you again very much, Maria. I appreciate your time. And I uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed this episode of the Cards Chat podcast. This is Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.